0: Welcome to Politics in Question, the podcast where we talk about how our political institutions are failing us and what to do about it. I'm Julia Azari. I'm an associate professor of political science at Marquette University.
1: I am Lee Drutman, a senior fellow at New America. And I'm James Walner, a senior fellow at the R Street Institute and a lecturer in the Department of Political Science at Clemson University.
0: So... This week, we're going to talk about the politics within the Republican Party. All three of us are really interested in party politics, and we, we've got different perspectives on both what's happening and what should happen and maybe how to go forward. It's no secret, I think, to our listeners that one of the main topics of conversation as we talk about the future and fate of American democracy is the presence of authoritarian and anti-democratic forces within the Republican Party coalition. Some of these are more overt. Others are working more subtly through to use institutions in order to consolidate power. And I think we have a lot of different perspectives about what's going on. Uh, this past week, there's been quite a bit of what seems like friction within the highest levels of the Republican Party. So I guess more like maybe two weeks ago, we're recording this on, on Valentine's Day, February 14th. The Republican National Committee uh, came forward and said that January 6th was legitimate political discourse and that congressional efforts to investigate that, to find, to hold people accountable for that, to sort of find uh, the facts in that event and treat it like it was a serious, I don't know, I want to say crime against democracy, Um, treat it like a serious incident, those were unacceptable and that the Republicans who had participated in that would be censured. Um, since then, high-level Republicans, perhaps the, the most prominent of whom is Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, have pushed back against that. And we have all these questions about what's really going on in the GOP and what it means. So I I essentially have kind of three questions going forward. One is, is there really a meaningful group of Republicans at, at the elite level, but maybe also at the mass level, who want to push back against some of these more authoritarian measures, and particularly this January 6th narrative, but other things as well. And a second question is, if so, is this group going to have any access to any important power? That could be institutional power, it could be political power. Do they have any power in the coalition? And the third question is, can this even be a coalition if there's disagreement about these fundamental issues? Or can these, can these two factions... Can fundamentally not coexist? And are we looking at if there is a significant faction that that's oriented this way? Are we looking at um, a potential GOP crack up? So that's, that's how I'm thinking about this question. Lee, do you want to get us started?
2: Yeah, so these are really fascinating questions. And you know, l- looking at the polling, and, and I think this has been pretty steady, is that you see about two thirds to three quarters of Republicans who are really bought in on this whole big lie story. I believe the election was stolen. Believe you know, Democrats were trying to cheat. And to the extent that the kind of line on the Republican Party, the or sorry, the enforced line within the Republican Party is more or less that. Trump was right and the election was stolen, you know, this is clearly the the majority position. But at the same time, you do have this maybe quarter to a third of Republicans who don't buy that. Now, are they voting for Republicans anyway? They seem to be. But would they maybe prefer candidates more in the line of like a Larry Hogan or Mitt Romney or, you know, Susan Collins? Yeah, they probably would. So wh- what about those folks? Mitt Romney, Susan Collins have been critical of, of Trump. They are still in the Senate. In the House, it's been a little bit harder. Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger have been the most outspoken and are you know basically totally marginalized from their, their party. Kinzinger is not gonna be able to run again because of uh, districting, gerrymandering in Illinois. Liz Cheney is probably gonna lose her primary in Wyoming, I would guess. So they seem to be pretty much run out of the party at this point, at least in the House. In the Senate, I think it's a little easier for them to, to continue to hang on a few of them, uh, although we'll see. You know, McConnell has every now and then kind of tried to, to draw a line. And part of that is because Republicans can win the House, uh, I think, more easily with, without trying to, to make some bridges to the never-Trump or more moderate Republicans, whereas in the Senate, I think they, they kind of have to do that a little bit more. It's a challenge to see whether they can. I mean, some 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 respects it may not make a difference because just the sort of nature of thermostatic politics is that things move against the party in the, the White House. Biden is not super popular. It's easy to blame Democrats for things that are not going great, and unless there's like a huge turnaround in the economy and everybody starts feeling good about things, you know, it's probably going to be a year for, for Democrats. But to the extent that the Republicans are in charge in the House and in the Senate, it's going to be the election denialist, big lie, increasingly a, a liberal wing of the party that is is, is dominant. And you know, there's going to be tremendous pressure to line up with them and to, to go on the attack against Biden so I think I, I think it's only continuing to get worse and worse as the moderates are are really purged from the the party and only the true believers are left. I mean, this is this is like how this is what happens in cults. It's the people who are doubters who leave and then the cults become dominated by the people who are the truest believers and tend to become even more extreme.
1: James? I might be the skunk at the garden party here. Little ants at the picnic, right? We need to. We need a little bit of that. And I'm not, you know, I, I, I value what you all both have said. And I read this morning in the New York Times. I think it was Jonathan Martin, a, a very long piece. I mean, it just kept going. It was a great piece. It was very in depth on the kind of the feud between Trump and McConnell. And my take on that piece, I think, informs my my thoughts here, my initial reaction. And I I, I do acknowledge that you both have, have mentioned the voters or Republican Party kind of rank and file. But, you know, in general, our take on the kind of the current moment in our politics and the state of the Republican Party tends to leave out the people for the most part. And I admit that you two aren't necessarily doing that, but we make it Trump versus McConnell or, you know, serious official Republicans versus unserious Republicans or, you know, whatever it may be. And we talk in terms of people as if we we lose sight of the people, and we say that you know certain high level officials are running people out of the party, and we try to create a national party in the mold of one of you know official, right? And this isn't new. I mean, we've been doing this. We did it in the twenty ten kind of Tea Party um, elections as well, you know. And we talk about you know people are being purged from the party, and we've lost sight. I think we've lost sight of the fact that we have. Members, And if we just stick with the Senate right now, I mean, we have members who represent states and states have different populations, different interests, different people. And the people that are doing the purging are the voters in those states. And the GOP can't be a a Murkowski or a Romney party any more than it can be a Ted Cruz party, because Ted Cruz doesn't isn't going to win in a place like Maine. He's not going to win in other places necessarily because we don't have just one Republican party, right? And so I think that that's a a good thing to keep in mind, you know, is that it's actual people, whether it be in primary elections or in general elections, who are making these decisions. And Liz Cheney, I mean, and and Adam Kinzinger, you know, I'm looking at this resolution here about legitimate political discourse. And I acknowledge that it's probably not the best choice of words. And I'd fully, I'll come out and say, I do not agree with what happened on January 6th. I found it horrifying with the people who are attacking the Capitol. But I'm reading this RNC resolution right now, and at the end they mentioned legitimate political discourse. They don't, they're not being specific about it, but I don't suspect, perhaps if I'm wrong, this is really bad on their part. I don't suspect they're saying that the people who, who stormed the Capitol and like broke in and are, and are breaking the law and are doing horrific things, that they're engaged in legitimate political discourse. If they are, that's wrong because they're engaging in violence. That's not legitimate political discourse. But we have a, a judicial system that is punishing those people, that, that's working through the process. I think to the extent that we are looking at a congressional investigation that is is looking into other people who weren't storming the barricades, who weren't engaging in illegal behavior, then I think it's a, it, it is a different story. Um, because we do have people who stand up in front of the Capitol and give fiery speeches and say, we have to fight. I mean, just go look at anything AOC said prior to running for office. Look at the speech that she gives in November of you know 2016. I mean, this is a kind of normal discourse for people on the left and the right. The only difference is this time, there was also a whole bunch of armed hooligans who decided they wanted to storm the Capitol. And I think that's horrific. So I'm going to, there, that's just me being the skunk at the garden party, and I'm interested to see what you guys think.
0: Well, we need a skunk sometimes at the garden party. I think, I mean, I think these are useful.
1: We never need skunks at the garden party, actually. I don't know what kind of garden party you're going to, but I mean, a skunk is just, it's going to make it smell pretty bad.
0: Yeah, but I think, it, so I, this is a really good entree into what I was going to say, right? Which is,
1: that you're welcome.
0: Just as, let's see if I can land this this metaphor here. Just as we need a metaphorical skunk in the garden party, but not a real one, I think there's something, there are some interesting questions about kind of the, the rhetoric of denying the the opposition or the sort of fiery rhetoric of fighting and the actual behavior of fighting. And I think that's been one of the key kind of distinctions in talking about What's going on in the Republican Party and what's going on in the Democratic Party? There's certainly been, and this is not confined to the Trump era, there's certainly been different rumblings among Democrats about elements of different elections being illegitimate, about the kind of not my president type of, of rhetoric. And, you know, you hear you hear this kind these kinds of claims and kind of talk. Is that the same thing? as actually storming the Capitol which you know was done by Trump supporters and has not been done by you know John Kerry supporters in 2004, Hillary Clinton supporters in 2016. Um, You know at the same time I put this question to my students sometimes you know the 2016 the 2017 Women's March was definitely definitely had tones of denying Trump's legitimacy but it was different than January uh, January 6, 2021 and a lot of Really, I think really critical and important ways. Um, But it's true that our it's true that our politics sort of plays with with that, and it gets to this question that I think is also an intra party question about you know what limits do we put on what can be legitimately in the polity, and I think you know Americans have had very strong norms. Against drawing these lines in official and overt ways, which means that we've often had them in unofficial and, and covert ways. So there are there are often topics that you can't talk about or opinions that you can't hold, but they're not they're not stated. Those values are not up front. And now we're being confronted by that with this sort of specter of right-wing authoritarianism, of white supremacy, of all of these sort of anti-democratic ideas that consolidating, I think, in somewhat new ways and gaining political power within the Republican Party. You know, it, I mean, we all know the Democratic Party had sustained a very wide variety of viewpoints for a long time, and some of those were white supremacists, and that w- those groups were able to coexist, but they also weren't... They, the white supremacists within the Democratic Party had a lot of veto power, but they weren't exactly driving the party, and I think that's a really critical... That's a really critical distinction. The other thing that I want to bring up is actually the role of the RNC here, because this is a really unique kind of position for a national party organization to take. And the national party organizations have typically been sort of clearing houses for a lot of different perspectives. Um, And that's not to say they don't have any institutional power, although I think some people would say they don't have a whole lot. They've typically been the sort of purview of the president, of the sitting president, of the presidential candidates. And in between elections, when a party's out of the White House, that's that's often when these national party committees are just they're just trying to trying to figure out how to get back in the White House. They're not really advancing one perspective or another. And what we see instead is that that Trump has really meaningfully taken over the RNC and it has begun acting in you know in a different different way um, than than we expect party committees to do, and it's also true that Trump has been really effective at taking over and eliminating dissent at the subnational level, which is another kind of party politics, past party politics taboo for presidents. So it's it's a really interesting it's a really interesting dynamic organizationally on the Republican side, but it does leave this question of, can there be dissent, you know, can there, I think you alluded James, the idea that there's a, you know, this, this sort of need to have a multifaceted and big tent kind of party. That has been how American parties operate. But I think that what's going on now is maybe is pushing at those boundaries. And Lee, I know you have got a lot to say about the, the structure of political parties. So, I do have a lot to
2: say. And, you know, I mean, sure, there are many Republican parties within the uh, existing Republican Party, but there used to be many more. And what used to make the political system work is that the parties were sort of these incoherent overlapping coalitions, right? You had liberal Republicans, and you had conservative Republicans, liberal Democrats, and conservative Democrats. So this was like the the weakness of national parties kind of made politics work. You, you had stronger local parties as institutions then. But you know, American politics has really transformed over the last 30 to 40 years. To the point where now that diversity is really on the margins. I mean, sure, you mentioned Maine Republicans, but there are not that many other areas where you have liberal Republicans still. And that number is continuing to, to shrink. And you know, th- this is the challenge that it used to be that when you had... A diversity within the Republican Party. You had liberal Republicans who who would, the RNC would have never done something like that, would have never weighed in on that side because they would have said, look, we're a big tent party. You know, we have all kinds of people, so we're not going to do anything that would be seen as siding. But yeah, I mean, you're, you're right, Julia. Trump has really transformed the, the, the machinery of the party and we've lost those voices of moderation within the Republican Party, and there there is this reinforcing cycle. As the party becomes more extreme, the the moderates move out. And you know, James, this point about okay, well, what's legitimate political discourse and what's not po- legitimate political discourse? Right. I mean, it, it's a it's a hard thing. It's not clear where you shade into implicitly endorsing violence to explicitly endorsing violence versus, you know, just asking questions. But there has to be something that holds us together and some, you know, boundary, because once, once, the, once everything is up for grabs, then nothing stands and i mean it does really feel like a moment of disintegration and i'm not sure if the republican party coalition can hold together i mean i think more and more folks are leaving the republican party and, you know, one race that um, I think to me is the most interesting Senate race of 2022 is uh, the, the Utah race in which Evan McMullen is running as a, an independent, basically a moderate Republican. And the Democrats will probably not run a candidate. And if that happens, then I think McMullen can defeat your, your friend James Mike Lee and a, a former guest on this program. And that would, I, th- I think, create a kind of new opportunity for in some states that are lopsided for one party, you know, for for some moderates to to emerge, and I think that would be a good thing. That would bring much more diversity back to uh, representation in Washington, which we desperately, desperately need.
1: I think we desperately need acting and and people in Washington doing things. And I think that you know, Mike Lee, I don't think is the problem, even if you disagree with his his politics. I think he's one of the the few sincere politicians who actually wake up every morning and 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 try to like do things or at least have in the past and, and i think that's uh that, that's something we need but look you know in terms of weighing in and i agree we have these national parties now that weigh in we have the rnc doing this but this isn't just this isn't new first of all in 2004 pat toomey challenges um arlen specter in the primary he comes within ten thousand votes of defeating him. And he only loses after George W. Bush and the National Republican Senatorial Campaign Committee weigh in and try to, uh, to to save Spectre. Why are they trying to save Spectre? Because they don't know, they don't like Toomey. Why don't they like Toomey, which is ironic considering Toomey now appears to be the darling of this, right, of the establishment in many respects, someone else I used to work for. But they weigh in. In 2010, we have the Senate Republicans um, weighing in. The NRSC is trying to support certain candidates in primaries over other candidates. In 2014, they weigh in. And this New York Times article, McConnell says, we changed the business model in 2014 and have not had one of these goofballs nominated since. That's the leader of a party referring to party members as goofballs, right? He talks about how we're gonna, you, you know, I'm gonna punch you in the nose referring to the Tea Party. We have the Republican Governors Association weighing in and backing primaries. So it's not just a question of Trump doing something or the RNC doing something on behalf of Trump. It's also the other side, the establishment doing something and they've been doing it a hell of a lot longer it seems to me. And on top of that, and I think lost in all this is what about the voters? In what world? It's kind of a bizarre thing. In what world? If you're a voter of, of some state and, you know, all of a sudden you have these national and we've always had this to a certain degrees, but you have these national groups that are basically declaring some voter and you're, you know, trying to, to push people out of the primaries before they can even begin to get in. When Pat Toomey challenged Arlen Specter again in 2010, you have McConnell and others actively courting Tom Ridge, trying to push Pat out from even running in the first place. So, I mean, I think we've kind of lost sight of democracy in a lot of respects, or at least lost sight of the... The kind of democratic activity that takes place in elections. And as far as the diversity in the party, I would say that there is someone who sat in Republican party conference meetings every single Wednesday for two hours of one of only four staffers. I can tell you there's a lot more diversity than we think. And we don't see it. And the reason we don't see it is because they don't do anything. All they do is vote to confirm judges. Literally, that is all they do now. And so we get this environment where we can have a lot of this rhetoric. But in reality, if you force Senators to actually come to the table, go onto the floor, cast votes on amendments, that sort of thing, you would see very, very quickly that there is a lot more diversity. And then the people can reward them or punish them or do whatever else they want, because these Senate seats aren't the property of the national party. They're not the property of the democratic reform movement. They're the property of the people in those states. And whatever they do, whomever they send is ultimately going to be their call and their decision.
0: So I think giving myself the last word here, we're still sort of dancing around the critical question, which is, I think, really borne out by your comments, James, about the the role of the voters and the role of a political process, which is, can you have a party where an increasing number of people seem to have rejected that political process? And To what extent can we understand how prevalent those views are? Um, And are they prevalent in the GOP mass electorate? Or are they just sort of, you know, we just have these really loud voices of people who say wacky things. I think that's really, that's really the question going forward. And so I think that I want to end on this note of sort of challenging E.E. Schatzschneider and this idea that democracy happens between parties and not within them. Because I think what happens within parties is actually really critical to what goes, goes on in, in our democracy. So we'll see going forward how this GOP story unfolds. This has been another episode of Politics in Question, and I thank you all for joining us.
2: Thank you for listening to Politics in Question. The show is a joint production of New America and the R Street Institute, and our producers are Shannon Lynch and Jason Stewart. Theme music was composed by yours truly.